Hello, everybody. Um, I want to show you something. This is my brand new iPhone. I, um, I think I told you this. I, I went out of contract last month, and that was the month that my battery started slowing down. So I'm like, oh, I probably should get a new one. So I went to Sam's Club, and they give you a $250 um, gift card if you buy a, you know, sign up, renew your thing with them. So I promptly went out and bought those um, air buds that you put in your ears, those air, what are those things called? Air buds? Yeah. And I got them today. They came from Walmart, and they came in this perfectly square box, and you pull it out, and it's ergonomically, you know, set in the box. I mean, everything Apple does, they do with such precision and design. And we've been talking about intentionality in Supper Club, and I've been looking at all kinds of different companies and what their different values and what they do. And we know that Apple is all in a design, right? They want to design the sleekest, most up-to-date, gotta-have kind of technology. That's part of their value. And Chris is an Android user. A little bit of competition going on there. So I've been thinking about all the different, you know, we talked about um, Walt Disney and how some of the values of Disney was uh, um, decency, remember that, and, and um, optimism, which I thought was a cool value. We talked about Centura, where when you walk down the hall, if you're within 20 feet, you have to say, you have to see the people, you have to make eye contact, and then if you're within 10 feet, you have to say, hello, how's it going? Which is so funny to think you have to teach people how to do that, but that's part of their values. Then Chick-fil-A, all the people that take your order, well, to begin with, they ask your name, and then they address you by name from then on. So can I have your order? What's your name? Chris. Chris. And then when you, go, when you go to pay, they'll say, thank you, Chris, here's your receipt. And they'll, they'll greet you by name as long as they know it because part of their value is um, customer service. They want to make sure you feel valued as a customer. So the next um, place I want to talk about, which I thought was really cool, you know, Chris and I have had a membership at 24 Hour Fitness, and then, you know, we quit doing that, or at least I did. And then we went over to Balance because we're like, it's closer to us and we'll glow. Well, then he hurt his back and then I never went, right? So now my, my third, third's a charm, is Planet Fitness because they have that 30-minute um, circuit where you do a machine and in 30 minutes you can do like 10 machines. And I'm like, I can do anything for 30 minutes. I'll just put my, ear, my new earbuds on and do 30 minutes. Yeah, there's like, there's a a light that goes on for a minute and you do that one machine, then you switch machines and it, it, it tells you when to switch machines. And like I said, I can do anything for 30 minutes. I'll just put those new earbuds of mine in and do the machines, right? But when I walked in there, and the other cool thing, it's only $10 a month, which is cool. And I walked in there, it's purple, I love all that, but all over the walls, it says, no judgment, you belong. No judgment, you belong. And I went, oh, Oh my gosh, what a cool message. What if the church said that? <laughs> what if you walked into a church? No, I'm not kidding. And on the walls was no judgment, you belong. 
And I thought, what would that be like? And I was kind of uncomfortable with that. I'm like, well, is that the right message? You know, are people going to just do whatever they feel like doing because there's no judgment, you know? But I really, really want you to take two seconds and feel how that strikes you. If you were to walk in someplace, a church, where it said, no judgment, you belong, what would that say to people? I mean, what is the message we're trying to convey? And, you know, at first, the religion rose up in me, and I'm like, well, that would give people a license to sin, and then they'd think that anything goes, and there's no standards and all that kind of thing. And that's kind of what I want to address tonight. I want to address the idea of a place that has no judgment, you belong, but, and then I'm going to get into that, okay? Um, you've heard me talk about this picture. We, I, I want to talk about grace. Because this is what we're talking about tonight, is grace. Grace is one of the core values that we're going to have here at Supper Club. We're going to love each other. We're going to accept each other. We're going to realize we're, we're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all weird. We're going to extend the grace. Seriously. Yes, sir? Yeah, I was looking at him. So grace is a, a foundational value that we have, but we don't have the value of cheap grace or greasy grace, as people like to say it. But we do have grace. So I want to just kind of create a, um, a word picture of, of the difference between grace and mercy and justice, okay? So I've, I've used this picture before, and you guys will probably remember it, but just think of, you know, four or five kids, they're playing baseball in a sandlot, and they um, hit the ball, and it goes across the, the fence into the neighbor's um, house and breaks the window. So justice is they have to march over there to the owner, knock on the door, and say, oh, by the way, we broke your window. And then the owner's like, you're going to have to pay for that. And then the kids may or may not be able to play in that sandlot anymore because the consequences are they broke somebody's window. They have to pay the price. They have to repair the window and maybe change their behavior. Okay, so that's, that's the picture of justice. The second picture is the kids are playing baseball. They hit the, the ball over the fence. It goes into the neighbor's window, breaks the window. They walk over there, and the neighbor says, you know what? You don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll repair the window. That's a picture of mercy, okay? The third picture is this. The kids are playing baseball. They hit the ball across the, the fence. It goes into the neighbor's Window breaks it. They go over there, and they said, hey, we broke your window. And the owner says, no problem. Let's you and me go out for ice cream. That's the idea of grace. Because now they're getting favor that they don't deserve for a sin that they committed. That's a picture of grace. But I want to take it one more step beyond that. Going back to um, the idea of no judgment, you belong. See, I think that's a great model, and I think that that's a legitimate model that we could put up on the walls here. But I would add, dash, but responsive to grace. Responsive to grace. That means there is no greasy grace. It's not a free-for-all. You don't get to come in. Everyone is welcome, but, you know, some of your behavior maybe needs to be looked at. You can't bring your sickness in with you. You can't bring your, you, you can't propagate things that are opposite the word of God, but you're completely welcome. And we don't have any judgment because that's not our job. 
But I want to talk about resp what responsive to grace means. So using our baseball picture, kids are playing, they hit the ball, blah, 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 they, they break the window. The owner says, hey, I'll pay for it. I'll take you out for ice cream. And oh, by the way, I'll go down and play baseball with you. And I'll teach you how to play baseball so that you become really good. And then you can go on and maybe be pro league or whatever. And I'll have a relationship with you one-on-one -on -one so that I'm not a stranger to you. And maybe you'll get so good you won't hit the, hit the window. And we'll actually have a relationship. I want to be involved in your life. That's called responsive to grace. That's what God really does. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to give you something free. He says, oh, not only am I going to give you something free, but I'm going to come down and spend time with you. And I'm going to give you something that you haven't already had before, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside of you, and you're actually going to be made new from the inside out. And what we're called to do as Christians is to be responsive to that. Imagine if those same kids said to the guy, he, he said, you know, I'll, buy, I'll take you all out for ice cream, and I want to come down and play with you. I'm a, professional, I'm a professional player. I know all kinds of people that can get you into little leagues, and, and I got all kinds of training, and I can help you with your batting and your catching. And what if they said to him, you know, no thanks. No thanks. We don't want that. Thanks a lot for the ice cream, but we'll just go our own way. Is that what we do sometimes to God? So we're like, yeah, no thanks. You're gr we'll just take your grace, but we want to stay right where we're at. We don't want to be responsive to what you're offering us. Does that just hurt you inside to think about it? And that's what I want to talk to tonight is how, what does it look like to be responsive to grace? No judgment. You belong responsive to grace. What does it look like? What's a practical way of living that out? If you look at your little sheets I gave you, I want you to all hold up your little sheets because I printed those out for you special. Yes, sir. Do you have an extra one? Who needs one? Can the, can the, thank you, Ed. Would you share? <laughs> if you guys don't believe me about the no judgment, you belong. And this is for Christians. Is the scripture, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you guys really believe that verse? Sort of? What, why don't you? Not You're not convinced of that? Because why? Yeah, right. Because the way we're raised, right? It's really hard to get a hold of that. Yeah, it's really hard to get a hold of the idea that we are absolutely covered in Christ and that he paid the price for every single sin that we did sin and will sin. So there's this tension between the idea that we are, we are scot-free. We get off scot-free in one sense. But the tension is we are called to be responsive to that free gift. There is a natural gratitude and response that comes from people who really recognize what a free gift that is. And my question would be, if people are not responding to grace, have they really recognized what that gift is? That would be my question. If you're not responding to the grace you've received, do you really value it? 
maybe you're not taking it, maybe you're taking it for granted. I want to read this scripture. This is Romans 8, 1 through 2. In the, look at my jicky jack things. In the um, Passion. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one, for the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. So that's what I really want to get to. We are, we are no longer in condemnation, but we have the power of Jesus inside of us to live a renewed, restored, better life than what we have been living. And are we doing that? Is that something that we're grabbing hold of? Is that something that we believe can happen? Are we static and status quo in our life? And it really is, you guys... I, and I don't want there to be any condemnation in this message at all. I don't, want there to, I don't want you to receive one piece of judgment. What I want to say is this. Do you believe that can, God can do what he says he can do is what it comes down to? Or are we living beneath the promise of what God has said he would give to us? And I, that's where I find myself so many times is living belie- beneath what I know God can do for me and everyone around me because I'm limited in my faith, you know? Going on to Romans Romans 8, 3 through 4. Yet God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. We're free to live. We're no longer in bondage. We're free to live by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So the first point is if you believe in grace, then let it change you. Do not use it as an excuse to stay the way you were. Have you ever met people who have never seen to grow up in the Lord, that they say they're Christians and they go to church and they do whatever, but you don't see the growth inside of them. You don't see, you just don't see it, right? They remain children in the Lord for a long time. I'm not here to say that those people aren't Christians, but what I am here to say is they're not living up to the promise of what God has for us because God is passionate about us us living out our identity and our purpose. And he, am I right? And he died on the cross so that our old nature, this is the picture of the baptism, dies with Jesus and our new nature is resurrected with Christ. And everything about us that was sin nature is actually proclaimed dead, the old creation. And we are proclaimed alive in Christ. And it's so sad and hard to see people that you know had this great potential but yet they're living beneath that promise, and they have not pursued any part of the new life and the new creation that God has for us. And that's the saddest thing because they're missing out on the better part of life. Does that make sense? You know, we, talk in, um, we were talking in, uh, in our marriage class 
with um, Danny Silk's Keep Your Love On. And sometimes he uses this word, he says, when you're, when you're in a close relationship with somebody, you get to put a demand on that relationship. Like you, get, you get to say, hey, I don't know what's going on with us, but I want us to be better. And you get to place a demand on, on how you think that relationship would be by the virtue of the intimacy that's in that relationship. And that's what God does to us. God says, listen, I've paid a really big price for you, and I'm going to put a demand on our relationship. My demand is I want us to be in an intimate relationship where we co-labor together for your restoration and for the restoration of the world. And God puts a demand on us. He says, I paid a huge price for you. I'm not going to let you just linger away and do nothing. I'm going to put a demand on our relationship because I care about you. And I think that's really interesting because there's a price to be paid, you guys, There's a price to be paid when you decide to follow Jesus. And don't let anyone tell you different. It's, it's not um, rainbows and unicorns. Am I right? Yet it's the most fulfilling thing you can ever do. It's the most, but it's not you get to do whatever you want. Because God's going to say, I'm putting a demand now on you. I bought you. You belong to me. Now I'm putting a demand on our relationship. And that means we're going to identify and look at some things that maybe don't line up with your real identity, that maybe there's some old habits that need to be looked at or, or dealt with, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now begin to talk to you about that. You know, if we remain unchanged by the grace we've received, we actually despise the sacrifice of Christ. We actually look at what Christ did on the cross and say, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It's... It, Whatever. I don't need to change. When you take for granted what was done for you on the cross, that's when you, you're like, I don't, I don't need to change or be responsive to what you've done because it's no big deal. Is there any bigger slap in the face than that to the Lord? To say what you did doesn't really matter, doesn't, doesn't demand my change? To me, that's what remaining stat, static in our relationship says to the Lord. Eh, eh. I'm going to take for granted what you did on the cross for me. And I actually think that we can, we, we can look at a person's fruit. I think we're allowed to do that. We're, we're not allowed to judge, but we can be tree lookers, adders. Fruit testers? Fruit inspectors. Fruit inspectors. Matthew 7, 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So, all, you know, again, no judgment, but be responsive to grace. What kind of fruit is grown on your tree? Can people look at your tree and see the fruit on it? Is there fruit on your tree? That's being responsive to grace. Or maybe your fruit, maybe your tree's not bearing, and you're like, you know what? I need to fertilize it. I need to prune it. I need to do some work around my tree before it'll bear fruit. That's fine, too. That's being responsive to grace. That's saying, I'm moving forward in a purposeful way to be responsive to what God's done. Number two, 
God's transforming love and power are inseparable from one another and allows us and others to love him at a standard higher than the law. This is, this is what I love. God's always about your identity, and he's always about your fulfillment because he purposed from the foundation of the earth good works for you to walk in. He is passionate about you becoming the very best you you were created to be. And so he's not going to let you go. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit to continually do that work inside of you to make you into the better person that he wants you to be, the fulfilled version of who you are. He's passionate about that. This is where community comes in. You know... I don't know about you, but have you ever been in your life where sometimes you can't see clearly and you have either baggage or triggers that are clouding your vision or clouding your judgment and you don't quite know if your thoughts are on track or maybe they're a little bit crazy? Has anyone ever thought that way? This is what I love about Celebrate Recovery. I think we're all that way. I think we all are not... Um, I don't know if the word is pure. We all have we all have things inside of us that we have blind spots. We all have blind spots, and so I believe that God uses two things in our lives to empower us and change us. And one is the power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely the power of the Holy Spirit. But the second is a godly community. I believe that a godly community is necessary for us to get past our blind spots. Because even a godly community can validate the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Sometimes people, have you ever had people say this to you? God told me X, Y, or Z. I've had people, when I'm um, selling houses, showing them property, be like, God told me no to that property. And I feel like saying, well, God told me yes to that property. Because <laughs> that's a no win for me, right? I mean, I'm showing them that property because I think it might be good for them. And they're like, no, God told me no. Well, you can't argue with God third hand. Do you know what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is sometimes we believe the words of the enemy to be the words of God. Am I right? And we need a Christian community to say, no, that doesn't sound like God to me. That's not the God I know. So sometimes when we don't check what the whole, we, we, it, it, it can't, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do the work with us one-on-one. But many times, the work is done in the work of the body. Now, I don't know how many of you went to Celebrate Recovery. I went to Celebrate Recovery. I highly recommend it. Here's what I love about Celebrate Recovery. It is the epitome of no judgment, you belong. Because this is the, this is the model when you're in the step study. You're in the circle. It's very AA, you know, where you go and Julianne, and you know what I'm talking about. You stand and you sit in there and you say, hi, my name's Paula Waterman. I'm um, codependent, and I have control issues, and X, Y, or Z. And then people go, thanks. Thanks for being here. Nobody says, you're a loser for being codependent. I can't believe you're that old, and you've got all these issues. Nobody, you're not allowed to have any kind of response like that. You just go around the circle. And literally, we had women in there who would be like, you know, I don't know if God's real. I hate my everybody and I wish I was dead. Or, you know, they say something horrible. And, and all you're allowed to do is say, thanks for sharing. You, you don't get to respond to it in any way. But what happens when you do that for a year, 
When you have a safe community for a year where you can go in and share whatever is on your heart and nobody blinks an eye, pretty soon people start telling the truth about what's going on in their heart. I'm really hurt. I'm really, um, I don't know how to handle my, my anger. I'm, where's God? And you know what happens when people start getting real and there's a space of no judgment? You all of a sudden make a space for the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit comes down. It is sacred. And you're in this circle, and people are telling the truth, and you're going through this program, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, and then to you, and then to you. And the people begin to create a kind of community that bolsters each other up, speaks the truth in love, offers no judgment, but says, you know what? There's a better you right around the corner. There's a better you right around the corner because God is passionate about your healing and he's passionate about your destiny. And when we make a space for the Holy Spirit to do his work and we partner with the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of others, you watch out what happens. There's incredible restoration that happens when you, when you make that kind of environment. That's the kind of environment I want here, you guys. I want us to make a place for the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is not a free-for-all. You don't get to do whatever you want. But you know what? I'm going to love you right where you're at, and we're going to talk about it together. And I'm not going to judge you, and you're not going to judge me because this is a no-judgment zone, and you belong. But let's be responsive to grace together. Number three, deeply experiencing God's Grace teaches us about the true nature of righteousness and empowers us to overcome sin and failure. The Father's love keeps us from focusing on sin or hiding in shame if we fail. You know, here's the reality, guys. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going we're to be tempted and we're going to sin. Now, here's what, we, here's what happens. We either beat ourselves up for our sin when we fall or we've had such an experience with the Father's love that we're like, Man, I'll just get up and try again. And it all comes down to how you, it's just like what Bob said. He's not quite sure if he believes in no judgment, you belong, because there's some stuff back here that's not quite been touched enough with the Father's love to really embrace that. But that's what God wants. The scripture says perfect love casts out fear. Once we have an encounter with God in such a deep way, we're not going to be our worst critics anymore about our, fin- our sin and shame. How many people here experience self-condemnation when you fail? Anybody say bad words to themselves or, or um, call themselves names? Just on the golf course? What do you, what do, you do? What do you do, Chris? I get mad at myself. What do you say? Where do you think that, do you know where that comes from or anything? I think a lot of it comes from um, our family of origin, the words we've heard from our family of origin. A lot of time is the, is the voice inside our own head. So see, here's the deal, what I think. If, if there's a way that we can so connect with the Father so that his words replace our, family's, uh, our family of origin's words, then we don't say self-condemning things to ourselves anymore. We say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's <laughs> I'm bought by the blood. My sins come. There's therefore now no condemnation. I'm just human. 
God loves me right where I'm at. When we begin to replace those words in our minds with who God really is, we don't even condemn ourselves, let alone the people around us. It's easy to condemn the people around us, right? But our own condemnation, that's hard, that's hard to... It's hard to replace that word, those words sometimes. And again, we need the community. Because you know what I say to Chris when he says that? What do I say, babe? What do I say? <laughs> this is what I will say when Chris, when Chris starts to, uh, to, to say bad words about himself. I said, I won't hear that anymore. That's not true. That's not who you are. And I won't participate with it. That's what I say about it. Do you remember that? It is what I say, isn't it? You haven't done it in a long, long time. We need our community to say those things to us. We need someone to say, you know what? You're not a failure. You're not past whatever, whatever. You know what? You have a temptation and sin like the rest of us. God loves you right where you're at. And so do I because I messed up too. He's a blessed man. He's blessed in so many ways. The reality is, too, that you can't give what you, what you haven't experienced. It's hard to give grace to other people if you can't experience it for yourself or if you don't know who God really is. That, I would encourage you guys, we're going to do a little exercise at the end. You need to ask yourself, what do I think God says over me when I fail, when I sin? What are God's words over me? You need to ask yourself. You need to see, does it line up with Scripture? <clears throat> Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through truth, faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep in the love of, is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That's what he wants us to know, you guys. There's nothing that can separate us from his love, not even our failure and not our sin, because he's already covered our sin. See, sin is, sin's been put to death. It may have little tendrils in our life, but the scripture says that he has thrown our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And if he doesn't remember them, why are we focusing on them? If God doesn't think about our sin, he doesn't think about our sin in the sense of a condemning way. He just, he's like, you know what? I'm going to empower you to, to walk out your destiny. And that means we've got to, like, push that out of the way. But in no way does he go, man, he messed, he messed up again. I can't believe it. I'm done with that guy. How many of you guys have said, I cannot take one more moment of that person's behavior? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> Where people have pushed you to the very limit and you've given them grace and grace and grace and they've fallen again. And we've been like, I, I don't have anything left. Like I'm completely out of grace. You know who that never happens to? God. Do you know that God never says, that's his last chance. I'm thrown in the towel on that guy. God never says that. God always has enough grace. He is the good, good father who says, man, if he would turn around and look at me, 
he could run into my arms. I am waiting here for him. God never gives up on people, and we're not allowed to give up on people either, or especially ourselves. The last one I want to talk about is God's grace breaks the victim mentality and creates a new identity. In Christ, I'm Tina, a victorious overcomer, no matter the situation. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Tina, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We are not victims to our situation. We are not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The only power the enemy has over us is the power that we give him, is the power of agreement. Do you guys get that? He does not have legal power or territory over a Christian except for what we come into agreement with. That's the power that we have. We can agree or not agree with the lies of the enemy. Here's some characteristics. You know that you're struggling in a victim mentality if these characteristics come up. You, you believe you've been wronged. Um, you believe the worst. That's always the worst. You, you catastrophize. You always expect sympathy. You play the blame game. You're stuck in a self-pitying mode. You spin tales of woe. You're constantly guided by negative emotions. I can think of a couple people in my life who, whenever I talk to them, they're like, man, nothing's going good. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. My, my physical health is bad. Negative, 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 negative. Anybody here know those kind of people? What'd you say? Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the things is this is a learned behavior. We learn it. It's our default mechanism a lot of times from the people that we were raised. How We approach life pessimistically and negatively. And I want to tell you, Chris and I were talking about this. And I'm going to wrap up. We were talking about this. One of the hallmarks of the Christian life, and you know, you, you know that you've, you know that you're maturing in the Lord if you approach life with more hope and less despair. If you're more of an optimist and less of a pessimist, you realize that you're moving forward into spiritual maturity because the hallmark of a Christian is hope. Hope. That God is bigger than my circumstances. He stands for me. He is not silent, and he can do all things. There's nothing impossible for him. When I was... Um, 20, how many years ago? When was the Iraq War? 2003? That was when 9-11 was, but the war was 2002, 2003. Um, my first husband was over in Iraq, and I was by myself at my house. I think you guys have heard this. And I had three little kids, and I didn't know if he was going to come back, be alive or dead. And, and United had, you know, gone bankrupt, and I didn't know what kind of money we were going to have. And um, I was really freaked out. I was really freaked out. I couldn't sleep at night. I got hives. I'd wake up with hives, you know. And um, I finally went to the doctor, and I said, something's wrong with me. Like, maybe I'm going through menopause super easy, early or something, or my hormones are all messed up. Or I, just, I need you to test me. And I was in there just on the verge of tears, and this super mean lady, PA, she just looks at me, and she goes, you're depressed. 
And I went, I'm not depressed. What are you talking about? I'm not depressed. I was so offended that she thought I was depressed. And I started to cry. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm depressed. <laughs> so I went back home and I, I had like a talk to myself. And I said, Paula, I said, am I depressed? And, and, I, and I thought to myself, and it was a come, for lack of a better word, a come to Jesus moment for me. And I had to stand. I had to stand like this and say, I either believe who God says he is or I don't. I am making a choice today to either believe his promises about me and my life, that he's in charge of my life, that he's my provider, that he has good plans for me. And I started saying all those promises to me. I either buy into that or I've got to throw the whole thing out. Like there's no middle ground. You can't be, you know, halfway believe it. You're either in or you're out. Am I right? And so my point to you is, guy, when you, when you find yourself with a victim mentality, you're not in. You're not in. You're kind of straddling. Well, maybe I'm a victim. Maybe God's not big enough for me. I don't know. Well, maybe he is. Well, maybe he's not. Well, I'm here to tell you he's big enough for everything that's going on in your life. And there is no room for victim mentality because you're all in. You're all in with what God, who God says he is, and you choose to believe it. And then you know what you got to do? And this is scary. Now you have to live that way. Now you have to live like you believe God. And you come out of agreement with the enemy and you start taking risk. And you start doing things that are maybe outside of your comfort zone, fear-wise or whatever, because you're like, wait a minute. I don't need to walk in fear because perfect love casts out fear. I'm going to take a risk. I remember I started doing, um, oh, you guys, this was so scary. One of my friends took me up to Lookout Mountain where there was Jackie Jacobson and she was doing prophetic ministry. I'd never had one-on-one -on -one prophetic ministry before, and it scared me senseless, senseless. Because what if the Holy Spirit read my mail? What if he revealed all kinds of bad things about me? What if God didn't love me? What if it was horrible? What if I came out feeling like crap? What if I was embarrassed, exposed, whatever, you name it. But I knew it was the next place for me to go. I knew if I was going to believe who God really was, I had to get out of my little comfort zone of whatever it was. So I went up to um, out, uh, Lookout Mountain and went to that ministry and sat there. You know, because what they do is they make you take like a number and then you go through the whatever. Janet knows what I'm talking about. And you go through. And I'm sitting in that chair just like this, knees knocking, knees knocking, just like, uh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And, and the whole time you can't worship, you can't get with the Lord, you can't do anything because you're so scared of the supernatural and what might happen. You know, and finally they take me in. Oh, this will make me cry. They take me in, and it's two people, and you know, one talks to you, and the other one like either records or writes something down, right? And so I'm in there, and they they pull out the scripture and they read, Paula, we just think this is for you. Perfect love casts out fear, and I just fell apart. <laughs> I just practically fell on the floor because it was the Lord speaking right to my heart right to my heart. And the thing about victim mentality is, you guys, you're in the grip of fear. Fear of your circumstances. Fear of what the enemy is saying to you. And perfect love casts out fear. And that perfect grace casts out the fear that we don't have to be so immobilized and isolated and stuck. 
That's not our portion. That's not our lot. God is passionate about our destiny. And grace is what gets us to our destiny, you guys. So if we're going to be responsive to grace, we're going to have to sometimes inventory ourselves, you guys. So look at your last page. Let's, let's look at these questions. And this, Ryan, if you put our music on. I'm going, I want you to take just two minutes before we end this. And we'll have prayer. If anyone wants to come up and get some prayer over this, um, me and Steve will be up here. But here's five questions I want you to ask yourself. Are there any areas where I've been living out of a mindset of punishment or condemnation? Any area at all? Do I emotionally or spiritually beat myself up when I think I failed or didn't do something right? Do I ever have negative thoughts about myself? Do I ever have feelings of self-hatred? If so, in what situations or circumstances do those thoughts or feelings come up? Do I have a tendency to live in isolation? If so, is there something I'm afraid of? This is a big one, you guys. We need the body. We need the body to make sure we're not believing crazy things about ourselves or misinterpreting who we think, what we think God's voice is. And five, do I find it difficult to receive love from God and people? If so, why? So take two minutes and think about these questions. We are, I'm going to pray for us and we'll be dismissed to go eat some dinner. Debbie Blanchard has prepared for us, so make sure you say thank you to her. Steve and I will be up here. We'll be doing um, prayer, altar ministry for anyone who needs prayer. So let me pray for us will be dismissed. Lord, I thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation. And this is a judgment-free zone. And we belong. God, I pray, Father, that you would you'd plant that deep inside of our hearts, Lord, so that we would not even have language of self-condemnation over ourselves, let alone other people. That we would live empowered lives that are responsive to your grace that we would not take for granted what you have done through your son on the cross, that we'd point the way for other people, that we'd speak truth in love to our community around us, that we would partner with the Holy Spirit, we'd have friendship with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come illuminate inside of me maybe a lie I've been embracing, maybe some kind of hidden trigger something inside of me. Lord, we just want to partner with you with what you want to do with us. And we want to love each other well. And we want to love you well, God. We want to respond to you for what you've done to us already. Thank you so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's nothing we've done for ourselves. It's all you, God. Just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.